Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 57. I tell you, brother, this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord of life, help us to understand the words on these pages. Help us to apply the words on these pages and help us to see who these words point to. And would you be with the kids downstairs as well, that they would see your face today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm on the team here on at my welcome to John's welcome. So let's get started. When I was younger, much younger, I went backpacking with some friends uh, in Southeast Asia. It was one of those itineraries that you only do when you are much younger and have much less money. Staying in the cheapest accommodation, taking suspect transportation, and eating food of uh, unclear origin. It was not for the faint of heart or the faint of stomach. But it was great. It was great. We had lots of fun. One of the things we did is we went on hikes because hikes are generally low cost. And there was one particular hike that really stood out to me. It was up in the mountains and they had these really majestic rice terraces that that were cut into the sides of the cliffs over hundreds of years. But there was also something else that stood out for me in this hike. Along the sides of the cliffs were coffins. Coffins of dead bodies that had been either nailed or or suspended high up above the ground. You see, the people in the area had historically believed that hanging coffins of of their deceased loved ones high up meant that their loved ones were nearer to their descendants and nearer to their ancestors. You see, what we believe about death And what we believe about life after death impacts the way we live today, doesn't it? It impacts the way we live and it impacts the way that we we, we approach death. And that's what today's passage is all about. If you're joining us for the first time today, we're we're in our sermon series on 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that we have for us that's recorded in our Bible, uh, written by a person named Paul, that he, who was writing to a church, the church in Corinth about 2,000 years ago. We're in the section of the letter where Paul is responding to questions about death 
and life after death and whether Jesus really rose again from the dead. He was was addressing questions about resurrection, about whether Jesus really bodily rose again from the dead. And those, we got our three points for this morning around those, around that topic. Our need for the resurrection, our victory through the resurrection, and our thanksgiving in response to the resurrection. Our need, our victory, and our response. So to our first point, our need for the resurrection. Look, Look again at verse 50. Paul writes this, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You see, when he talks about, um, when Paul talks about flesh and blood, he's referring to our earthly bodies, our bodies as they are right now seated here and on this stage. He's saying that our earthly bodies, flesh and blood, are unable to inherit the kingdom of God. And, and before we go on, I, I want to spend a bit of time talking about the kingdom of God because it's important that we understand what, what Paul is talking about here. To inherit the kingdom of God is how Paul describes the Christian life after death. It's the promise that God's people will live perfectly in His presence. And because we're living perfectly in His presence, we're enjoying all the blessings of living perfectly in His presence. And we're living the true and flourishing life that can only happen because we're living in His presence. See, I I want to make the connection here. What makes living in the kingdom of God so good is that we'll be living perfectly in the presence of the only one who is truly good. In the presence of the one who is the source of everything that is good. See, it's really important that we make this connection because otherwise we misunderstand what it means to live in the kingdom of God and we misunderstand what it means to live in this world today. See, in the, in the world we live in today, we live in what we can call the, the now but not yet. God, God's kingdom has come but it's not yet fully here. God is active in the world but he's, he's not yet fully present in this world and active in this world the way he will be when his kingdom is fully here. This means that we will have moments of living in this world where we have moments of goodness, and these are gifts of God. But it also means that living in the world today will have moments of darkness. We will have moments of darkness because there is still sin in this world. This is important for us to, to grasp, to understand, because there are some of us, perhaps many of us, who, who, who reject the idea of life after death. We don't want to live anymore after we die because, you know, we, we look at the darkness in this world and, and the struggle of living in this world today and we, and we don't want this life to go on. We can't imagine living forever the life we live today with all its darkness and difficulty. We need to understand that in the kingdom of God, it's not, it's not going to be like that. There'll be no more darkness because God will have destroyed everything and everyone who opposes His goodness. Paul talks about this in verse 24. Chapter 15, verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign, this is referring to Jesus, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, there'll be no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain in the kingdom of God because there'll be nothing bad. There'll there'll be nothing to mourn. 
There'll be nothing to cry over. See, before we go on, I, I just want to say this. Don't let the darkness you experience in this world turn you away from the light. Let it turn you towards the light. Don't let the difficulty in the darkness turn you away from the kingdom of God. Let it turn you towards the kingdom of God, towards the one who sent his son into the darkness to be the light of the world and to defeat the darkness once and for all. Don't let the darkness turn you to despair. Let it turn us to hope. See, living in the kingdom of God will be good. We will be living in the goodness and glory of the one who defeated the darkness once and for all. Because God is so good that anything that goes against His goodness can't survive. That's why we need resurrection. That's why we need transformed bodies because in our present state, in our earthly bodies, as we are right now seated here, we, we, we are unable to inherit the kingdom of God. We're not fit to inherit the kingdom of God. It's like trying to join the special forces in the military. Not that I've ever tried it. But I've watched a documentary on TV which pretty much makes me an expert. <laughs> See, the, what, what these documentaries tell you is this. It's tough to join the special forces. Perhaps only Leslie could join it. I don't know. Not, not everyone is able to join because there are physical requirements and there are intelligence requirements and there are character requirements. And you need to meet all the requirements. And that's a bit of what Paul is talking about here. See, in our present state, our earthly bodies, we don't meet the requirements. We don't meet the requirements to, to inherit the kingdom of God. See, our earthly bodies can't stand how good and holy God is. We're not fit for the good life that God has prepared for us to live in His kingdom. We don't meet the physical requirements. We will break down, our bodies will break down and decay and die, which is what Paul means by perishable. Our earthly bodies also don't meet the holiness requirements because we are all corrupted by sin. And there's no room for sin in God's kingdom. That's why we need resurrection. That's why you need transformed bodies, bodies that are no longer perishable but imperishable. They're no longer mortal but immortal so that we can be with a God who is imperishable and immortal, who is perfectly good and perfectly holy. You see, the resurrection is a means to an end, not an end in itself. And I need to say that again. The resurrection is a means to an end, not an end in itself. I, I want to drive this home because how many of us perhaps subconsciously, look forward more to our resurrected bodies than we do to, than we look forward to being with God. In our culture's obsession with looks and bodies, how many must look forward more to having new bodies than being with Jesus? How, how do you think about what heaven will be like? Do we focus on ourselves or do we focus on God? Let me tell you this. God is going to be so beautiful that you have no time to look at yourself. 
It's okay to look forward to having the transformation that will mean that we no longer hurt or decay or break down. But if that's all we're looking forward to, Christ CD, we have missed it completely. Don't get it mixed up. The joy of having transformed bodies are nothing compared to the joy of being with the one who created us, who gave up himself so that we could be with him. Paul then goes on to explain the mystery of how the resurrection will happen. He says it will happen suddenly and certainly. Suddenly and certainly. Look at verse 51. He writes this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. I love the way that Paul is just building anticipation in the way he's writing, doesn't he? See, when he says we shall not all sleep, he, he means that we shall not, he says that there'll be some people who will be alive when Jesus comes again. Jesus coming again is what, he, what Paul is referring to when he talks about the sound of the trumpet. It's a reference used, used throughout the Bible. Jesus himself uses it to tell us about the time when Jesus will come back again. See, the resurrection will happen when Jesus comes back again and it will happen suddenly, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. But it will also happen Certainly, I mean, we, we picked, some of us picked up on the, on the tone that Paul uses in, in, this, in these verses, don't we? The tone of confidence and certainty of building anticipation to what will surely happen. See, we need the resurrection and we can be confident that the resurrection will happen. So our first point, our need for the resurrection. Our second point our victory through the resurrection. Our victory through the resurrection. When I was in high school, our, our soccer team coach brought our team for a night walk through a cemetery. I don't remember her explaining why we had to do that, but I think the point was to build courage and to build team spirit amidst adversity. Because for most people, we fear death, don't we? And perhaps for some of us, we fear anything to do with death. I don't know if you, you are that person or you've been around people, the moment you talk about death, they, get, so they will say, stop that, <laughs> don't talk about those kinds of things. See, we fear death. But the problem with walking through a cemetery and trying to confront our fear of death is that we don't really know how to confront our fear of death. I did a quick search in the Google, and here are some solutions that I found on how to overcome the fear of death. Number one, accept that death is a natural process, meaning that accept that everyone is going to die. Secondly, be grateful for the life you have lived. Then focus on making the most of the rest of your life, and then make plans for your passing. All of these solutions have one thing in common, don't they? They're not actually solutions. They don't actually solve the problem. See, every, every solution I found is about doing your best to accept there's no, that there's nothing you can do. 
Christ said, praise God. We have a better solution. See, the only way to truly overcome our fear of death is for death to be overcome. The only way to overcome our fear of death is for death to be overcome. And that's what Jesus came to do, didn't he? Look at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You see in, in, in your Bibles that there, there are quotation marks there because Paul is pointing to, to two texts from other parts of the Bible. And I, I want to go through these because it really helps us understand what he's trying to say here. The first phrase, death is swallowed up in victory. Paul is quoting something that the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 25 verse 8. Isaiah was a prophet that existed long before and you can see what he wrote in, in the book of Isaiah in, in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, 25 verse 8 is part of a promise that, that looks for, where Isaiah looks forward to the day when God will destroy death forever. When, do, when God will save all his people. Look at verse 8 of, of chapter 25 of Isaiah. It's going to be up on the screen. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Paul is saying that the day they've been waiting for has come. He's saying, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation because this is the Lord. We have waited for him and he has come. Salvation for God's people is here. Death has been swallowed up. Looking back at, at, at our, our passage for today, verse 55, the next two lines that Paul references are references to another prophet, the prophet Hosea, who could, whose writings can also be found in, in the Old Testament in our Bible. He writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He's, Paul is referring to Hosea 13, verse 14. What's interesting is that when you look at the original context of what Hosea was writing about, Hosea was actually calling upon death to punish God's people for their sin. Hosea is, is talking about the power of death and telling, saying, telling death to come as judgment on God's people for their sin. It's so interesting because what Paul is doing here is completely the opposite, isn't he? See, Paul is flipping what Hosea was saying. Instead of calling on death to punish God's people for their sin, Paul is showing that death is no longer needed to punish God's people for their sin because their, their sins have been forgiven. Our sins are forgiven in Christ. But Paul isn't just writing this like in a matter-of-fact way. His tone is quite something, isn't it? He's taunting death. He's making fun of death, saying that death has been defeated. Death no longer has any power. It's like being at, at, a, at a hockey match and, and, and 
one team is winning 20 to 0, and so the, 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 winning, the supporters of the winning team have started taunting the other team, making fun of the other team. Losers, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It's almost rude. It's taunting. It's rubbing it in their faces. And we almost want to go to Paul and go, hey, tell Paul, hey, Paul, you, maybe you want to tone it down a bit. Don't you know who you're talking to? You're, you're talking to death. Have some respect. But actually, I think that's exactly the whole point because Paul knows who exactly who he's talking to. And Paul is intentionally making a big deal about the fact that who he's talking to has been, has been defeated. See, Paul was writing at a time when death was far more common than it is today. Today you fall sick and maybe you're out of action for a couple of days. In Paul's time, you fall sick and there's a very real chance that you might die. See, Paul goes out of his way to drive home to the Corinthians the confidence they can have that death has been defeated. He, he drives home the confidence they can have in Christ that death has been defeated. And isn't that something we still need to hear today? For all our medical advancements and technological advancements and all the advancements, we're still all going to die. And I would dare say many of us still remain just as anxious and fearful about death than, than, than people were at Paul's time. So what does this passage mean for us? Well, firstly, it means that in Christ, we don't have to be anxious or fearful about death. But we need to be really careful here because there's a way to interpret this passage wrongly that doesn't give people any space for grief. Where people almost feel like they don't have the permission to feel pain. That's not what's going on here. Death can be painful. Dying can be painful. Seeing a loved one suffer will be painful. Seeing a loved one die is beyond painful. It's excruciating, it's heartbreaking, and it's okay to grieve. It's okay to tell others that you are grieving. But what this passage does is that it gives us hope for our grief to hang on to. Do you see the difference? This passage gives us hope for our grief to cling onto when we feel that we are just drowning in an ocean of emotions. See, on days when we, we, when we can't see how things will ever get better, by faith, this passage tells us we can ask God to help us look up. We can ask God to help us to see the day when things will get better because they will get better, because death has been swallowed up in victory. This passage doesn't mean that we don't feel pain, but it means that we can have hope. The second thing we need to see is that death is tied to sin. Death is tied to sin. Look, look, at, look at me at verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. We need to take some time to understand this verse because this verse actually helps us pull everything together. See, when the first human sinned, one consequence was that all humans would physically die. But there was another consequence and the consequence was that not only would we physically die, but we would spiritually die meaning that we all come under the power of sin. We can't help but sin. We're all corrupted by sin and we feel the effects of sin everywhere. So the sting of death is sin in the sense that death is the result of sin, but sin is also the result of death. So when Paul says that the power of sin is the law, he then talks about how God gave us the law to teach us how we are to live. The law is good, but the law can't save us. So the law becomes the power to, of sin in the sense that law reveals sin and it even encourages sin in a sinner who is defiant and rebellious. It's like, it's like the thing you never knew you wanted until you were told you could never have it. See, death and sin are tied together and, and we need to pay attention to this because the worldview that the Bible gives us to make sense of death depends completely on the fact that death and sin are tied together. But many of us try to do the exact opposite, don't we? We try to separate sin from death. But what we see in our passage is that we can't do that. uh, Bible scholar Phoebe Perkins puts it this way. She writes, Death is not the natural consequence of the elements composing the body. Death is not the natural consequence of the elements composing the body, as an Epicurean philosopher might argue, or the separation of an immortal soul from its body, as in Plato. For Paul, it is the consequence of sin that itself is reckoned by the exploits of God's law. The defeat of death incorporates in its train the end of its sin and its faithful association with the law. Let me summarize what she's saying here. The ultimate cause of sin is not sickness, or old age, or accident, or medical procedure. The ultimate cause of sin is death. The ultimate cause of death is sin. See, until we see that death and sin are tied together, we will have no victory over death. We have no hope because the victory was won by defeating sin. That's why in chapter 15 that we've been going through slowly for so long, In a chapter that is is talking about the resurrection of the dead, Paul keeps talking about sin. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. See, the sting of death is no more because Christ died for our sins, taking the punishment for our sins and destroying the power of sin. Christ took the punishment for our sins and destroyed the power of our sin. And then he was raised to life to show his victory was complete. Look again at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who who have fallen asleep. See, there is only one way to have victory over death. 
And it's not through medication or meditation or the power of positive thinking. There is only one way to have victory over death and it's not a what, it's a who and his name is Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins and was raised to new life to confirm his victory, our victory over death. All of us who have put our faith in him have hope not just in this life alone, but in the life to come. We are not, not, we are not to be pitied, we are to be joined. Can I just say, if you, if you do not yet know the sure hope of knowing where you are going after you die, if you do not yet have the confidence of victory over death that we can have in Jesus, would you consider the claims of Christianity today? It doesn't matter whether today is your first time or you've been coming here for a while, if you have suddenly realized or you've been slowly realizing that you're not quite sure where you stand before God, could I please encourage you, don't let this moment pass you by. Talk to the person you came with or, or come talk, you can come talk to me or any one of our staff and we would love to have a conversation with you. So first point, our need for the resurrection. Second point, our victory through the resurrection. And to our third point, our thanksgiving in response to the resurrection. Our thanksgiving in response to the resurrection. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our victory, the victory we have over death is through our Lord Jesus Christ and the appropriate response is to be thankful. But here's the problem. So many of us struggle with being thankful, don't we? How many of us spend time this morning thanking Jesus for the victory we have over death? How many of us spent time this week thanking Jesus for the victory we have over death? How about this month? We struggle with thanksgiving, don't we? One of the biggest challenges that we face as Christians is that we struggle to be thankful. We struggle to care. Here are two things we can do to help us develop a posture of thanksgiving. The first is take time to be thankful. Take time to be thankful. I think one of the reasons we struggle to be thankful is we, we don't give ourselves time to think about what we have to be thankful for. Something I realized for myself as I was preparing for this sermon is that if I just gave myself five minutes to reflect on what I have to be thankful for, I actually become quite embarrassed about what I've been anxious about or what I've been fearful about. In the gaps in the day, instead of scrolling through our phones, will we take time to be thankful? In our devotional time with God, we make sure that we have time to be thankful, to think about what God has done and promises He will do. And thank God for that. See, it, it, it can feel strange, can't it? Because feeling like thanking God for the victory we have over death every day feels like we're just saying whatever God heard yesterday. We can just, it feels almost as if we can say, God, you know what I said yesterday? It applies today. We thank God because it does apply today. And we need to take time to do that because on one sense, 
we, we, we are truly thankful not just for what God gave us victory for yesterday, but how it still does apply today. But we also do that because the discipline of thankfulness changes our hearts. It sets us in a rhythm of remembering who we are in Christ and the hope we have to look forward to. But even as we spend time thanking God, we also need to pay attention to what are we thanking God for. So that's the other thing we want to think about. Are we thankful for the giver or the gift? Are we thankful for the giver or the gift? For those of us who have friends or family who don't live in Canada, one of the real struggles during COVID is that certainly we couldn't see our families and our friends. I mean, you can see them on Zoom and FaceTime, but it's different from a hug. Jess's parents and my parents all live in Singapore and, and COVID was tough because we, we had to go through a, a long time when we couldn't be with them in person. And when our boys couldn't be with their grandparents and their grandparents couldn't be with their grandchildren. It was a long time and we didn't know when it was going to end. I remember when, when, when they finally managed to visit it was so wonderful. Our boys uh, <laughs> ran up to them and gave them a big hug <laughs> and, and said, you know, we've missed you so much. Imagine with me if in that moment when, when, when the grandparents are walking towards us, my, my boys ran up to them and instead of giving them a hug and saying how much they missed them, said, what did you bring me? Where's my gift? I know you brought me a gift. Where's my gift? Christ, don't we do that with God sometimes? He says, you can be with me now and you will be with me perfectly forever and we go, where's my gift? Where's my gift? We might say, we might say, you know, I, I want to live forever, but I don't really need to live with God forever. Some of us see God as just a means to an end, and so we might also say, you know, maybe I should just put off putting my faith in God until the very last moment before I die and so that I can get what I want anyway. You see, we do this because we don't see what's the big deal about being with God. We want the gift, but we don't want God. Christ City, would our eyes be open this morning? Christ City, that we would see the depth and breadth and height and length of how much God loves us. Would we see God in His proper colors? Would we let the light come through and see God for who He really is? Because when we see God for who we re He really is, we want nothing else but Him. Gifts are good, but the giver is even better.
See, when we see God for who He really is, we wouldn't want to delay putting faith until the last moment. We want to put our faith in Him right here, right now, because there's nothing we would want more than to be with Him immediately. Immediately and forever, because there's no greater gift than being with God Himself and praise God for the resurrection life we have in Christ. Let's stand as you respond to God's word.